This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of September 12th. Week one of season 39 with Ken Jennings hosting and a studio audience back in the studio. Ken, uh, he tweeted or something saying that the f- when he first came out, he had to stop and they had to reshoot his like introduction because he was so taken aback by the audience reaction that he kind of forgot what he was going to say. <laughs> That's kind of charming. That is, yeah. Yeah. Before, before we get into the games, how are you doing, Kyle? Uh, I'm doing okay. COVID is back in our house, so Ooh, we're working I hate through it. That for you, yeah, me too. Although I have still dodged it, I think. Like I've never had a positive test, so who mm-hmm. knows? Maybe I'm just immune. You know, yeah, and I can do whatever I want and go around licking doorknobs and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the lesson I'm taking from this. Doorknobs is how we get COVID. Well, um, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> No, I know. Doorknobs and from the vaccine itself, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's, those are the two ways, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you? I, I'm okay. I'm treading water. I'm back in the office and getting ready for my first church service, and my kids are settling in at school uh, with, some, with some hiccups. Kid stuff is difficult Kid sometimes. Kid stuff is difficult. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. My daughter turned seven this week, and uh, we made a chocolate cake. And mm. I, I made a chocolate cake, and then, like, she sort of inserted herself into the process. She's like, do we have any piping bags? What tips do we have? And I was <laughs> like, how did you know any of this? And, it, like, she's just been, like, watching, like, kid cooking shows on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever she has like sort of like individual like iPad time, and it turns out she knows how to use a piping bag. Now. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, uh, it's uh, you know th- there are good there are good parts and you know and there are hard parts, but yeah, doing okay. And uh, Jeopardy was pretty great. It was week. nice to have new episodes. These yeah. were some good episodes. This yeah, week. it was. It was great episodes this week. A little bit of drama Ooh. in the Jeopardy community. Yeah. You know, it won't be. Can't be can't be Je- the Jeopardy community without a little drama. Um, so on Monday, September twelfth, we have the contestants Catherine May, a financial institution risk manager from Riverside, Illinois; Tim Faulkner, a paperboy from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I think Kalamazoo is a really fun place name. <laughs> and Luigi de Guzman, an attorney from Arlington, Virginia, whose one-day cash winnings total twenty-three thousand four hundred one dollars. And our Jeopardy round categories are: Here comes thirty-nine for season 39, World Capital Rhyme Time, All Kinds of Doors, Writers and Their Works, Chump Change, the correct responses will be found by making the requested change to the word chump, and Ralph Macchio Talks Cobra Kai. Just a little side note, September 12th is my anniversary of my first game. Happy anniversary! Thank you. You're welcome. This- Many happy returns. Thank you. It has, it has been, it has had many happy returns. Mm. Yeah. Got a video category here with Ralph Macchio. Not a lot of, not not a lot of roles for him after Karate Kid. I have not watched Karate Kid 
or Cobra Kai for that matter. In your life, like ever? In my life, like oh. ever. Yeah. I have I, I have not watched Cobra Kai. I watched Karate Kid. I sh- I I have added Karate Kid to the like the family movie list mm-hmm. for us to watch sometime. But yes, I, I think we've covered that I grew up in a household with with two sisters. Um and so there are there were there were movies that were, you know, sort of maybe coded a little more masculine that mm-hmm. we just never got around to. Mm. Yeah, missing sense. some stuff there. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. I did like seeing the category. And I I knew wax on, wax off without ever having actually seen the movie. Like yeah. you pick up it, it's one of those ones that you kind of pick up. Yeah. That's that's a classic line. Right? Yeah. I think we've touched on this, but in Here Comes Thirty Nine at the thousand dollar level, we had a we had a missed a miss and a rebound. In the King James Bible, the Old Testament has thirty nine books with Kings, Chronicles, and this prophet each having a one and two book. Catherine tried what is Isaiah. That's incorrect. Luigi correctly responded, who is Samuel. And I think the thing that is confusing there is that Samuel is a prophet, but first and second Samuel are in the section that Christians refer to as the the history section, Mm. the historical books. Um, And then the, the prophets are books that are like prophecy, like, 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 like the words of prophets. Mm -hmm. First and second Samuel is kind of like historical, like from the time that Samuel was living. So I think if you've, if you've memorized your books of the Bible, you would think, oh, who is a major prophet? And Isaiah is a, a fair guess. But yeah. a little bit of a mislead there. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the writers and their works category at the $800 level. Pick number 29. So very late. They came to this category last, uh, and Luigi finds it. And he wagers 4000 He's in a good lead. Gets the clue, like the narrator of The Little Prince, the book's author, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, I'm so bad at French. Chose this, <laughs> but as, you really went for it. I which really I appreciate. If you got to lean into it, you got to fake your confidence. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I tell my jazz students. Chose this as his profession, and uh, he gets it correct with what is a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Luigi is up to fourteen thousand dollars. At the end of the that's Jeopardy round, bonkers, that's wild. Tim's at 2,000, Catherine's at 2,200. We get the double Jeopardy categories on the road again. 11-letter words, discoveries, Canadian history, finance and investing, and that's so sir slash real. So you have to name the knighted star of each film. I liked the theme. I thought the the clues were pretty gettable, but mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't really di- like dig too deep for these, but I liked yeah. the theme. Luigi went for the Cockney accent when he responded, uh, Sir Michael Caine. Sir Michael Caine. That was fun. Yeah. They didn't include uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, his greatest role. Yes. What's that about? I guess it's because they put it at the $1,600 level and anything having to do with Muppet Christmas Carol belongs at the $400 level because we should all be intimately familiar. Yes. Yeah. Line for line. Mm-hmm. I, I think I could probably put it on mute. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I need to get my kids into the Muppets. Like, they, they've they enjoyed, like, I don't, we need to get them to watch Sesame Street regularly. Like, they like mm-hmm. Sesame Street. We just don't watch it all the time. And, like, I don't know. I need to get them into the Muppets. Yeah. 
Muppets are great. Sesame Street's on TikTok now. I mean, that's not surprising. You got to reach the youngins. Yeah. Reach the kids. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that Sesame Street's target audience is not on TikTok much, but, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't know. There are some people who need to learn how to treat each other at that age. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Daily Double number two is at the $800 level of the Discoveries category, and Luigi finds it at the 13th pick. He is in a huge lead and wagers 4000 and gets the clue four of these were discovered by 1807. Astronomers sulked that they weren't full planets, but got over it when Astrea was found in 1845. And he gets it correct with asteroids. Mm-hmm. Astronomers nice job. sulked. That's a weird choice or a straight an, an interesting choice of words i mean yeah i guess did, it, they, did they sulk i mean i guess if you think you've discovered a planet you probably get pretty jazzed and yeah. then you're like oh never mind it's not i guess i could see that being a being an issue yeah yeah i feel like we've witnessed a fair amount of sulking over pluto being reclassified as a dwarf planet but not actually from astronomy astronomers no right? like it's from like people who Hate change. Yeah. Who are yeah. so so firmly committed to uh, things being permanent and not mm-hmm. having to learn anything new. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Daily Devil number three is in the Canadian history category. It is at the $1,200 level. Pick number 23. Luigi finds this one as well. He found all three Daily Doubles and really just dominated this whole game. Mm-hmm. He's in a massive lead. He wagers 6000 which is not at all a risk. Gets the clue. Founded by a royal charter, the company named for this body of water employed voyageurs who explored Canada by canoe. And he uh, gets correct with uh, what is Hudson Bay category. Or, mm. or Hudson Bay Company. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Luigi's in a lock position. <laughs> wait, like, wait. <laughs> he could have, he could have like a third as much money and still be in a lock position. Um, he has 38,400 to Tim's 5,200 and Catherine's 1,400. The final Jeopardy category is 19th century novels. And we get the clue. This bell was named Marie alone in the Southern Tower with her sister Jacqueline, a bell of lesser size, says this novel. Catherine tries what is Don Quixote. That is incorrect. Uh, she's wagered zero, so it doesn't matter. Tim gets it correct with what is the Hunchback of Notre Dame. He has wagered 200, bringing him up to 5,400. Uh, he was It was double locked. He was going to get second place anyway. Uh, and Luigi gets it correct as well and has wagered 4,000, uh, bringing him up to 42,400 and giving him a very impressive second win. And I got to think, if you're the other contestants in the studio watching this happen... You you came in knowing Luigi was the returning champion if you watched the end of the previous season. Right. But that's like, and that's terrifying. Yeah. Like, you know, he won his first game. He, mm-hmm. he won it, but it wasn't a runaway. And it was like, he played well. But this one, he just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's mm-hmm. been training all summer and everyone yeah. else is like just kind of wandering in off the street. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that'd be absolutely horrifying. But we get to Tuesday, September 13th. And we have the contestants, Justin Tarbox, a software engineer from Hoover, Alabama, April Marquette, a digital production artist from Oakland, California, and Luigi de Guzman, an attorney from Arlington, Virginia, whose two-day cash winnings is $65,801. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, 1960s America, Alphabetically Next, Broadcasting History, Going on a Power Trip, 
new to the OED and NFL opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a another video category. Apparently, Michael Davies um, has stated that he wants to do more video categories, and I don't love that. I don't love that. They're fine, but they, I don't know, they seem gimmicky to me. And you know what? Actually, I do have something. Um, I noticed, I especially noticed this week with the video categories, they did not put the text on the screen. And I have a Mm. lot of issue with that. Not only because, like, for one, if I'm watching it and my kids are being loud and I can't necessarily hear what's going on, I want to be able to read it on the screen. But also for, you know, for, for hearing impaired people who are watching the show. Right. Like the the Ralph Macchio one, none of the none of the questions were on the screen. Mm-hmm. You had to if you were watching, you just had to guess what they were even getting at, you know? Yeah. I I, I think that is a a major issue yeah. that needs to be addressed. Uh, mhm. I don't think they always have the text on the screen normally, right? Like I feel like I I don't know if it was consistent or not, but I do remember like I have memory sometimes of having, sometimes yeah. at least sometimes having it and I don't know why it occurred to me in particular this week, but it did. And I feel like it really needs to be addressed. Yeah, agreed. For listeners who have not competed, I think it's worth noting the video clues, if you're a contestant, appear on a like a kind of a big TV screen kind of off to the side of the stage. And then on the board, what you see, if the clue is too long, because you'll notice a lot of these... Uh, the text of the video clues is longer than a standard written Jeopardy clue. You'll see the beginning of the clue and then an ellipse and then the end of the clue so that you know what word to be listening for. Right. So it doesn't even show you the whole text of the clue. Yeah. It. Yeah, I just, I feel like whether or not it was consistent in the past, I think it needs to become something that is consistent. Yeah. Agreed. So. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's a easy accessibility thing. Yeah. April has been active on social media um in the wake of her appearance. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a big reason for that coming up, um but there are a couple of smaller things that she's highlighted. One is that in that NFL category at the $600 level, she had an incorrect guess of Tom Brady. She says she couldn't really see the screen or didn't look and was guessing on the basis of, I don't know, something. Well, I can't remember. I mean, if if she knows the players, Wes Welker was a Patriot. Yeah. Um, with Tom Brady before he went to the Broncos um, when for their, their Super Bowl win. Yeah, I think that, that must be it. Um, Which if you want me to talk about the Broncos, um, you know, Super Bowl season, I can do that for the next 40 minutes um, with, with Peyton Manning and. And all that. Yeah, that's. I'm sure that's what people tune in to hear. <laughs> yes, um, my, yes. My, my woefully uninformed takes on sports. Yes, and my long-winded explanations of like obscure biblical facts. Yeah, Dilly Double Number One is in the new to the OED category at the thousand dollar level, and Justin finds it as the 18th pick. He is already in a pretty solid lead, and he wagers 2,000 and gets the clue to stand on these, meaning to benefit from the knowledge of great predecessors. And he looked like he was trying to figure it out for a second, and then he got it. It's the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. I, I know my issue is like, this is the new to the OED 
category and it's like like why is that getting added to the oed now the shoulders of giants i mean i know the oed has more than just like individual words but yeah the longer it gets the more i'm like is that really in a dictionary Uh uh-huh yeah so yeah you probably know this kyle probably most of our listeners know this but the the oed is kind of a it's it's a very i was about to say a fun reference volume (laughs) um super fun uh so fun such a such a fun dictionary um it is unlike the dictionaries that you you know might be you know sort of familiar with that are kind of limited to definitions um the the kind of unique thing about the oed is that it traces how words or phrases have been used historically so it'll it'll tell you you know when does this first appear when is it first used in this way with like sources and stuff and so the entries are super long but they're you know it's not just what does it mean it's this phrase appears you know in this year but then you know it starts being used in this way you know in Mm -hmm. this year and and those things those things get updated because you know um sometimes you find an earlier instance of a word appearing or being used in a particular way but yeah though it it, the oed is um a pretty cool thing so it cool is. it is so cool it's one of the <laughs> coolest described things in the world. Dictionary as cool and fun uh, oh my gosh all right at the end of the jeopardy round justin has the lead with 8200 luigi's at 5200 april's at 1200 and our double jeopardy categories are do you feel a first draft synonyms a chem physics bio sampler full of holes european places and 20th century song, 21st century ad. Yes. That was not my category. And the contestants also did not love it either. No. Luigi was the only one to make money in there. And he, that was only on a couple of them. Yeah. That was a tough one. It was an interesting, like, it's unique. I'm sh- we have not had a category like that before, but perhaps a bit too niche. Yeah. Not sure we'll have a category like that again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. So yeah, coming into this round, Justin has Justin has had the most solid game of anyone. He's he got out to the lead and, and held on to it. Um but then uh he kind of flatlines for the first half of the round and Luigi makes his move. Um but Daily Double number two is found uh it picked number twenty, so it's getting late in the game by April. Uh she's in third place at that point. But she wagers five thousand. She's at fifty six hundred. Luigi's at twelve thousand four hundred. Justin's at eleven thousand four hundred. So Justin and Luigi are very close, and she wagers five thousand to get up in there. It's in a chem physics bio sampler at the eight hundred dollar level, and she gets the clue. The standard model of particle physics accounts for three of the four fundamental forces. Skipping this one, important in daily life, and she gets it correct with what is gravity, and the audience goes wild, which is cool to hear mm-hmm. so she's back into it and man that's an exciting end to the game yeah um and then she takes us over to the synonyms category and she didn't run it but she was the only one who made any money he- here there was one triple stumper at the 1600 dollars level uh nobody guessed um eye teeth for literally your upper canines figuratively something of great value that gives her um, a bit of a lead. Um, and then 
Justin and Luigi each get one in Do You Feel a First Draft? And then Luigi finds Daily Double Three at the $1,200 level of that category. He is 1800 behind April, 13200 to her 15000 and he wagers 2500 to take a slim lead if he gets it right and gets the clue. These two iconic fictional characters were originally to be named Sherrington Hope and Dr. Ormond Sacker. And he gets it correct with Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. I did not know that. I didn't either. I'm glad he ended up on Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Did you have a different guess? No, like, I'm glad that um, uh, 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 Conan Doyle ended up oh, with those that, names. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are, are much better names. I, I, I thought you meant Luigi. I... I was I was trying to figure out whether Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde would work when oh, yeah. he when he said the correct answer and I was like, "Oh, obviously." Um yeah. It's not a bad guess though. Yeah, so he t- he does take a slim lead. Um but then April gets the $1600 correct and gets the lead back and then we run out of time with the $2000 clue in that category unrevealed. It's a nail biter. So mm-hmm. she's at 16,600, Luigi's at 15,700, and Justin's at 11,000. Like, definitely not out of it. And we get the final Jeopardy category, the British royal family. Oddly apropos. Mm-hmm. And the clue, Prince Philip's titles included Baron Greenwich and Duke of Edinburgh, but not Prince Consort, last used by this royal. Justin wrote, who is George V? Which I believe George V was just king. Yeah. Um, and he wagered 1,500. Luigi wrote, who is Prince Albert, and wagered 15699 which is mm-hmm. a massive bet from second place. And April also got it correct with who is Prince Albert, but she wagered 1801 Yeah. Um, she talked about this a little bit on Reddit. She um, took with her the scratch paper that she used to try to calculate her wager, and... I've seen a couple people misunderstand this and think she got to the correct answer and then she wrote down kind of an intermediate number by accident. That's not quite what happened. She just sort of went down the wrong road mathematically. She sort of knew what to do, but just got, you know, just got flustered and like just took the calculation in the wrong direction. The thing about this that was kind of heartbreaking is um, she hit the button to lock in the wager and, and then realized her mistake. Then realized after she locked it in, but before they had come back from commercial break, before they'd revealed the clue mm-hmm. and asked the contestant coordinators whether there was any way to unlock it and change it. And unfortunately, there is not at that point. And so she went into answering, you know, provi- pro- responding to the final Jeopardy clue, knowing that she had made this wagering error. Um, that was that was fatal if luigi got the correct response yeah it's so hard yeah Gosh, that's so sad um and she was like visibly like oh, upset yeah. about it of course um, i mean it, yeah. she had the game except yeah just yeah. made a mistake yeah she's tough it's a huge bummer um i think she would be a solid candidate for, for a second chance a future second chance tournament agreed but luigi gets his third win yeah. And he played a very solid game. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Nothing against Luigi. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so on Wednesday, we have the contestants Harriet Wagner, a retired lawyer from Houston, Texas, 
Winston Lee, a clinical assistant professor from Durham, North Carolina, and Luigi de Guzman, an attorney from Arlington, Virginia, whose three-day cash winnings total $97,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, historic words, music, dog names, buildings, the born identity, and cons in quotation marks. Cons. The four hundred dollar in dog names we've already talked about on the podcast more than once, I think. But mm-hmm. Laika is the name of the Russian space dog. It means Barker. It means Barker. What a what a what a word. Barker. Yeah. Laika. How do they get to Laika? Because that's the thing. Like to me, Barker is kind of like. Uh, like a bark sort of sounds like like it's onomatopoeia. Yeah, yeah. And to Russians, do they think dogs are saying like, or is it just a different term? I don't know. It's weird. It's it's freaking me out, really, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Now that now that you say it, put it that way, it's freaking me out too. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could do that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. They used to hand out ice cream during the opera. I mean, survey. That was that was new information for me. That was new information for me too. I I had not come across that particular tidbit, but that is yeah, a sorbetto is a I guess an aria of a supporting character, and the audience would get sorbets. I have never come across that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they the writers did their research, and this is accurate. It's just. Mm-hmm. I wonder who failed me in music school that we didn't talk about sorbettos. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about like, well, this is how you've analyzed a da capo aria. I don't like, care. I've been talking about music trivia with Kyle for you'd, three years. You'd think I would bring that up. And he right? didn't mention this. Yeah. Because I didn't know. Yeah. Now I need to go and track down my music history teacher. Whatever. Mm-hmm. She teaches at Ithaca now. I can't even get to her. Hmm. There's no such thing as the internet, so. Daily Double number one is in the dog names category down at the $2,000 level. Uh, it's found at pick number 20, and uh, Winston uh, finds it. He's been making a decent move, but Luigi, Luigi has the lead. He wagers 1400 and gets a clue. During World War One, a corporal named two German shepherds for French folk dolls. Nanette and this, the latter dog, became a movie star. Winston didn't know. He guessed what is Marion, which I guess is interesting for, like, Marionette. That's a... Interesting guess. Um, but that is Rin Tin Tin, which is interesting mm-hmm. that he's named for a doll because I just think Rin Tin Tin canine cop. That's all right. I think. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Luigi's in the lead at 6,200. Winston is at 3,400. Hyde with Harriet, who is also at 3,400. And the double Jeopardy categories are ends with two vowels. Africa, priming the pump, literary characters, the law, and cons, but con not in quotation marks this time. That was all about uh, comic cons, or like mm-hmm. con- mostly, I guess not really comic cons, but like nerdy conventions. Yeah, I was wondering where they were going to take that cons category until we until we got to it. You know, I was like, is it going to be like drawbacks, like pros and cons? Is it going to be like con, like con artists, con games? Yeah, I thought for a minute about like like ex-cons right and i was mm-hmm. like so cons like mm, mm, it doesn't quite fit um but i i thought 
that was a good category. And lots of respect to Winston at the $400 level. The, the year Atlanta's Dragon Con really took off was 2003 when James Marsters, then of this TV show, brought in the crowds. Winston rang in and said Angel, and that was ruled correct. Buffy would also have been correct. I think Buffy was reaching the end of its run and Angel would go on for a little bit after that. And so I don't know if Winston... <laughs> was hedging his bets in in that way Mm -hmm. but i had this thought process of like angel or buffy angel or Buffy. when when was when when did buffy end was it 2003 was it you know so i i thought angel was the smart answer sure i mean he was in both of those shows so really it would have been either one is acceptable right well then of this tv show i think it has to be Ah, it has to be a TV show that is that is contemporary to. Gotcha. You're right. You're right. That that inclusion of that word is is fair. That's that's a good point. I wonder if the contestants were trying to think of last names for George and Lenny at the six hundred sixteen hundred dollar level. These two migrant workers dream of owning a farm with rabbits and Steinbecks of mice and men, but things don't go as planned. Because I feel like George and Lenny are pretty like. I feel like that those are those are names that you know even if you don't really know the story of mice and men. Yeah, that's kind of like if you're looking into literature, that's kind of the names you learn. But mm-hmm. I wonder if they were thinking if they would need last names because I don't know if they give last names. Yeah, I don't know if he if he gave them last names. But if you're thinking, do I need them? And you're hesitant to ring in, that would you mm-hmm. know, I would certainly wait. Yeah, Winston was ruled incorrect, and I'm not sure. I think maybe it should have been accepted in the ends with two vowels category at the $1,200 level. This word for a type of pet adoptee implies it has been removed from danger. Winston said, what is rescue-y? And that was ruled incorrect. And Harriet got the rebound with rescue. I haven't looked into it. And, you know, I I could be wrong here. But it's hard to imagine that no one has ever referred to a rescued pet as a rescue-y. And rescue-y... Does end, end with, with two vowels. Two vowels. I mean, it ends with three vowels, but the last two of them are two vowels. You know, right. um, I don't think that saying ends with two vowels necessarily excludes another vowel prior to the two vowels. Right. No, um, it definitely doesn't. <laughs> it's like, what are yeah. the last two letters? If they're vowels, it counts. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised that wasn't reversed. To be honest, yes. I was waiting. I was for expecting that. a reversal on that. But interesting that they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double 2 is in the law at the $1,200 level. Luigi finds it uh, early in the round, pick number eight. Uh, He's in a solid lead and wagers 4,000 and gets the clue, many people trying to sue over the same thing may be certified as this group to prevent unfair variations in their outcomes. And he gets it correct uh, with a class, like a class action lawsuit uh, and extends his lead. Yes, he does. And daily double number three is pick number 12. It's in the Africa category at the $800 level. Luigi also finds this one. And uh, he wagers 6000 He He makes big bets, which I like. Yeah. And he gets the clue, one of the most impressive sections of this wet landmark lies between Livingston and Cataract Islands. <laughs> I don't know why the description of wet is so funny to me for this, but it is. <laughs> it is. It is a funny description. It's not I wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he guesses what is Lake Victoria, but they're looking for Victoria Falls. Mm-hmm. Which uh, Lake Victoria will be a correct response, I believe, in the next game. And Luigi yeah, I will think get that's right. There. And I, I thought the last clue of this round was um, 
noteworthy also uh mm-hmm. myth mythcon 19 in 1988 had as a guest of honor this always coming home fantasy author and was held in berkeley her birthplace harriet rang in and said who is angela Le Guin?" and ken said no sorry and then harriet blurted out ursula Le Guin, but it was she she'd already been ruled incorrect luigi got the rebound and responded yep. Ursula Le Guin. Yep. And if Harriet had gotten the name in before the ruling, she would have had 10,600 to Luigi's 15,800. But instead, Luigi has a lot game because mm-hmm. she was she's down 2,000 and he's up 2,000 from where they were before right. that clue. Right. She actually uh, would be at 12,000. 600. Oh, yep, you're right. Sorry, my, my mistake. 12,600. Yes. Have gone the other way. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. Controversial. Controversial there. Yep. Yeah. So going into final, Luigi is in a lock position with 17,800. Winston and Harry are tied at 8,600. And the final Jeopardy category is artists. With the clue, he said, The Seine, I have painted it all my life at all hours and all seasons from Paris to the sea. And all of them get this one correct. Uh, it is Monet. Uh, so Winston has wagered everything. If you're tied, all or nothing is generally the move. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Winston went for all. Uh, Harriet got it correct as well and did all but 100. Mm-hmm. Um, so she'll finish in third place and Winston in second. And Luigi wagers 200. So, you know, a little bit. Uh, oh, it, it gives him a nice round number. Yeah. Doesn't risk risk his lock. And so, he finishes with 18,000. Yep. Uh, so a little bit of controversy there with a couple of rulings. Or at least that one ruling with uh, with Harriet, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. Yep. There was also a moment earlier in the game where Luigi gave an incorrect response, but didn't pronounce it well enough. And Ken asked mm. for him to repeat himself and he fixed it, which people also... Took issue with, again, they have judges, they have lawyers, they have third-party attorneys on hand to make sure things are as fair as they can be and yep. abiding by all the rules. So as much as it might seem unfair on our end, like, I mean, you can have your opinion, but they're going to make the call that is most right pretty much all the time. And mm-hmm. we kind of have to trust them. Otherwise, yeah. like, I don't know. Otherwise, what's the point? Like, it's not fun to watch the game if you're like, I don't know. If you're rooting for it like a sports team where you always blame the refs, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, yeah. Anyway, so on Thursday, we have the contestants Gilad Avrahami, a recent college graduate from New York, New York, Annabelle Osborne, a contract manager from Austin, Texas, and Luigi de Guzman, an attorney from Arlington, Virginia. Four days, $115,200. We have the Jeopardy Round categories Letter Perfect Books, Party! TV title adjectives from the Spanish cleanup and aisle five, as in like island five. It's mm-hmm. all about islands. This is where we had the Lake Victoria one, $600 level. Tiny and crowded. Uh, Migingo Island is in this lake and has been the subject of an ownership dispute between Kenya and Uganda. And that is Lake Victoria. I thought I saw Luigi sort of, you know, have like a little bit of a... a like a sigh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it's Lake Victoria. Yeah. I was waiting for Ken to say it, but then I was like, oh, wait, that was on a different day. That would that would disrupt the continuity. Yeah. The, the illusion that they tape on different days. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes we give the hosts a hard time for their be more specific prompts. Um, but I thought it was entirely appropriate in letter perfect books at the thousand dollar level. Z by Therese Ann Fowler is a fictionalized memoir of this jazz age woman called the first flapper. Luigi tried who is Josephine Baker. That was incorrect. And then Annabelle rang in and said, who is Zelda? Um, and Ken said more specifically, and then she responded with a full name, Zelda Fitzgerald. Right. Zelda. Yeah. Princess of Hyrule. It's also in that letter perfect books category that we find daily double number one. Uh, Gilad finds it at the fourth pick. Uh, it's at the $600 level. He wagers a thousand and gets the clue. Lynn Hare Sargent's novel H imaginatively fills in the blanks in this character's three year absence from a Bronte novel. And he gets it correct. That is Heathcliff Your favorite from book. Wuthering Heights. How much you love it. You got that, right? Um, yes, I, I did because I love Wuthering Heights. All right. We got it on record. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> never getting those hours back. Um, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, the players are all pretty close. Annabelle at 5,200, Luigi at 4,600, Gilad at 3,200. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, a little history, science projects, go get them with EM in quotation marks, philosophy, singers who act, and Hispanic heritage here. Mm -hmm. uh, Luigi did particularly well in that category. Yes, he sure did. And... um. He had great pronunciation as oh, well. Yes, that did, was indeed. fun. Yeah. Annabelle had talked about Lady Gaga during her interview segment and was hoping for her to come up in Singers Who Act, but she did not. But there was some kind of back and forth with Ken and Annabelle about that. Also, what is this clue doing at the $2,000 level, respectfully? This rocker played Jareth the Goblin King in the 1986 cult classic fantasy labyrinth. Why is that the $2,000 clue in this category? I have no idea. It's David Bowie. Yeah. And I mean, this could be generational and like, you know, maybe it's obvious to me and not to other people, but that feels like an easy yeah. clue. Uh, I, compared to, I don't, well, I don't know. These, these were pretty, I thought these were pretty gettable. They, yeah, they, I guess they all were. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where else it would be in comparison to the others, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty easy. I was like, really? Really? But yeah. That's okay. Daily Devil number two. Both of them came pretty late in the round. This is in the philosophy category at the $1,600 level. Pick number 25. Luigi finds it. Uh, he is making his move here at the end of the round. He's been on a tear, and uh, so he's in the lead. He wagers 3500 Gets the clue, Kant wrote critiques of pure and practical this, the method of making logical correlations. And he gets it correct with what is reason. Critiques mm -hmm. of reason. Yeah. And daily double number three is the very last pick of the round, number 30 in science projects at the $800 level. And Luigi finds this one as well. I think he wagers wrong here. Interesting. He is at, at 26,500. Mm hmm. Yeah. Annabelle is at 12,400. And Gilad is at 6,400. And this is, this is pick number 30. We are going from this to Final Jeopardy, right? Like, yep. so you know, whatever, whatever you land at after this, those are going to be the scores going into Final. Luigi wagers 6,000. Right. He is in a lock position. If he gets it wrong, he is going to 
lose his lock. Yeah. If it's the last pick, you, I mean, guarantee the win. I, guaranteeing the win is the best move all the time. Yeah. Just making just making a $5 wager here guarantees his win, but he wagers 6000 so he risks it. He gets the clue. In 1996, scientists of the Rediscovery Project at this Virginia site announced the finding of its long-lost fort. And he does get it correct. And with like a wry smile, uh, he responds, Jamestown. Is that close to where he's from? He's from Arlington, so it's yeah. not far. I yeah. Mean, depends on who you talk to. <laughs> yeah. Far to me is different than far to people who live on the East Coast, though. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, as it turns out, the big wager pays off for him. He does not lose his lock. He, uh, yeah. Extends he, his lead. He, he extends his lead. Yeah. So going into Final Jeopardy, he's at 32,500. Annabelle's at 12,400. Glad's at 6,400. So he's definitely in a lock for like the third time? Fourth time? He's, yeah, he's been pretty dominant. Yeah. Gets the Final Jeopardy category, U.S. Colleges and Universities, and the clue founded as a technical institute in 1900. Its sports teams are the Tartans, and its official mascot is a Scottish Terrier. Lindsay Schultz, you know, (laughs) dear good friend Lindsay Schultz from the 2019 Tournament of Champions, got this. But the contestants Mm -hmm. did not. Galad wrote, what is Glasgow? Which... I don't know. Is there a Glasgow College or a Glasgow University? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. But he, you know, he recognized Scottish, so he wagered six thousand and dropped it. Annabelle wrote, "What is Notre Dame? They're the Fighting Irish. They're not the Scotsmen. Yeah, oh, definitely not." Ooh. Um, and wagered twelve thousand six or no, two thousand six hundred. Uh, and Luigi wrote, "What is NJIT, which is New Jersey Institute of Technology? Is that, do you think?" I don't know. Yeah, I would guess so. And he wagered 7000 not risking his lock. That's Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. Carnegie Mellon. Andrew Carnegie, of course, famously being Scottish. Yeah. Uh, Scottish immigrant. So, and Lindsay Schultz is an alum. Mm-hmm. And from Pittsburgh. Uh, I also got it, though, because I see Scottish and I, if I, yeah, I just associate it with Carnegie. I saw Lindsay Schultz posting about Carnegie Mellon being the final Jeopardy before I watched the game on my DVR. So um, I got it, but also I'm not sure I would have gotten it. Yeah. It's hard to know. And on Friday, we have the contestants Emmett Stanton, a freelance writer from Baltimore, Maryland, Melissa Woodall, a homemaker from Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Luigi de Guzman, an attorney from Arlington, Virginia, whose five-day cash winnings total $140,700. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Herstory, Texting, a brief 2022 Geography, uh, that's F-E-E, and this category was all about what things cost with, uh, you know, with geography, subject yeah. matter. Fred's Up, Magazine Covers, and Help Me Move My Stuff. This was a weird set of categories. Yeah, an odd collection. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Man, I wonder if they get, if the, the writers get some sort of sick pleasure out of putting these texting abbreviation categories in. Because they come up way too often, for one. And for two, it's just like, they're not texting abbreviation. No, they're not. Like, we, I have seen FOMO at the $200 mm-hmm. level. Nobody says 
BAU for business. Nobody as usual. says that. I have seen somebody. Uh, there is there is one person in my sphere who uses GMTA for great minds think alike. They are not of my generation. Are they of uh, an older generation? Yes, they are. Yes. Yes. Which means, do they actually text that, or do they write it in like Facebook Facebook posts? comments? Because <laughs> that's different. Yeah, that is notably different. That's true. Ah, uh, I just, mm, I feel, I feel like they, I feel like they, you know, they get together when they when they all meet at their table, you know, after like coming up with their own clues and stuff. They all kind of like rub their hands and like, all right, we got another texting abbreviation category. <laughs> Everyone's going to hate this. Kyle and, we and will, Emily's eyes twitch. We will, we will drink their tears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is some nonsense. Just nobody, nobody on. uses these. In other news, they didn't listen to your uh, St. Bernadette. Yeah. Deep dive. They missed a thousand dollar clue in herstory. Mm-hmm. Out gathering firewood along a river in February 11th. Uh, 1858, she saw the first of her 18 visions of the Virgin Mary. That is St. Bernadette. That was a very good deep dive. I got that correct because of your deep dive. I would have otherwise had no idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But I recognized, of course, the visions and also the years. I was like, that sounds an awful lot like Bernadette. Nice. I'm very glad to hear it. Um, Yeah, I was was thinking we should plug my St. Bernadette deep dive. Which was a fun one, I thought. Yeah. As as a feminist and a language nerd, I get annoyed by the term herstory. I mean, it's a fine pun. Mm-hmm. The word history, the etymology of history does not, like the his of history is just there by coincidence. It is not a male possessive pronoun that needs to be fixed to include right. women. It is from a totally unrelated Greek root word. Yep. But, you know, but it's fine as a way of, you know, noting that this is a women's history category. I just, I think there, there have been times where I've seen that used uh, in kind of a rah-rah girl power way where I was like, I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure that you've thought this all the way through. And like, right. yeah. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't done your research. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number one is just above that that Bernadette clue in the herstory category at the $800 level. Uh, Emmett finds it at pick number 10. Uh, he is off to a very good start. The other two have barely done anything at this point. And he wagers 1,000. Gets the clue, Roxana married this conqueror in 327 BC and after his death, killed another wife or wives and consolidated the throne. And he gets it correct with who is Alexander the Great. When in doubt, guess Alexander the Great on the Daily Double. Mm-hmm. Did not work out for me, but you know. But good. I mean, it, no, I, it wasn't, wasn't the guessing. Worst guess. I think he knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, the year, like, yep, yeah, the year mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Luigi is at thirty two hundred. Melissa's at four hundred, and Emmett is up at eighty two hundred. And Ken makes a joke about Luigi not being in the lead. Has he found his nemesis? Perhaps his Waluigi. <laughs> Uh, oh the 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 social media after that has been awesome it's just been great oh i have Uh, not i haven't checked jeopardy Mm -hmm. social media much Mm -hmm. recently tell me tell tell me about the social media 
Oh, just very, just a lot of people engaging in, uh, like Ken Jennings getting to explain to every one of his generation who, what Waluigi is Mm -hmm. and, uh, where it comes from and why that's funny. Uh, somebody, I don't remember who made a, uh, a, 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 an intro video, like the, the Jeopardy intro where it, where Waluigi takes over. It's, there's a lot out there. You can check it out. It's always going to be funnier if you just watch it instead of me describing it. But okay, <laughs> but there you go. Yeah. Uh, so we get that we get that classic joke that will uh, live on forever, and uh, we also get the double jeopardy categories of British literature: magnets, think fast, television, explorers, and beyond the pale, which are correct responses that will come alphabetically soon after "pale" in the dictionary. Uh, and there were a couple of instances in this game where Luigi rang in, clearly knew what he was going for, but couldn't pull the name. Uh, it was There was a triple stumper in the Jeopardy round that cost him 1,000, and then he lost 2,000 uh, 2, level of explorers. Panama's currency is named for this explorer who crossed the Isthmus and sighted the Pacific in 1513. Um, he just couldn't pull it, and Emmett got the rebound with uh, Balboa. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. Felt felt bad for Luigi on a couple of those. Yeah. Of course, it is a Friday game, and he's been working hard all day. Yep. The brain gets brain gets a little muddled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I <laughs> I was very amused by the sixteen hundred dollar level of British literature. The responses that we got there: name shared by a shortbread cookie and the title heroine in an R. D. Blackburn romance. Emmett tried. What is a Sandy? A Sandy is sort of like a shortbread cookie, but I think it's its own separate type of cookie. And then Luigi tried what is Walker, which is also which is which is a type of shortbread cookie. Uh, Lorne and Dune is what they were looking for there, but <laughs> the, the contestants being like, "I'm going to go for this on the basis of the cookie part." <laughs> Hope well, that it you, fits with the think... literature part. I, I like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't blame them. Yep, they were both. I thought you know viable guesses. Right. The only one that came to me, I was like, Trefoil? I don't think that's a person's name. Yeah, no. Don't think so. Yeah, no, they were they were entirely respectable guesses. All right. Daily Double number two is in that Explorers category we were talking about a minute ago at the $1,200 level. And Luigi finds it as the 18th pick. He is just 1,000 behind Emmett, uh, 11,200 to 12,200. He wagers 3,000 trying to take the lead and gets the clue. A statue on the grounds of Minnesota's state capital honors this Viking who reached North America around 1,000. He tries who is Eric the Red, um, but that is not correct. It is his son, Leif Erikson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric the Red was important, but I, f- I feel like he's most important for being the father of Leif Erikson. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in Beyond the Pale at the $1,200 level. Pick number 23, Luigi also finds this one. Uh, He gets a chance to make up for the last one. And he wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. Uh, The word race car is an example of one of these. And he gets it correct with what is a palindrome. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Luigi's at 18,000. Ken notes that Emmett is just 2,200 behind him, 15,800. Melissa's at 2,800. We have the final Jeopardy category, Disney songs. 
And the clue, We Don't Talk About Bruno from Encanto, is the first song from an animated Disney film to hit number one since this duet in 1993. And I think probably if you've been listening to the podcast much, you know that I've been on a Disney slash Disney World kick and I was like, I'm betting it all. (laughs) I don't Mm. care what's strategic. So um, Melissa missed this one. She was within a year on her uh, on, you know, the date of the song she guesses. Uh, She tries what is Can You Feel the Love Tonight? That is not correct. Uh, Lion King was 1994. She uh, wagers everything but a dollar, so she drops down. Emmett has it correct with what is a whole new world. I liked his two ellipses, one after what and one after is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really giving a lot of character to that answer. Yeah. And he's wagered 10,000, bringing him up to 25,800. And Luigi has it correct as well with what is a whole new world. But- he did not make a cover bet. Yeah. What's he, what, like. He must have felt like he couldn't get a Disney music clue. Or or he was thoroughly convinced that Emmett wouldn't be able to get a Disney music clue. Right. I mean, Emmett did make a face before, like when the, when the, the uh, category was revealed, but still, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. So he, he won a game earlier in the week off of a kind of being in second place when first place didn't make a cover bet yeah yeah a a missed wager and now he has lost in kind of the same way yeah Mm -hmm. there's a symmetry to it or something yeah but it's just weird it's weird to see yeah he'll be back for the tournament of champions yes he sure will um and emmett played a good solid game and we'll see him again on monday yes indeed Uh, So this brings us to the break in the middle of the episode where we remind you we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. And if you have a couple bucks a month to help us with the costs of making this podcast, we would very much appreciate it. We've got some content behind the paywall there. And uh, we try to get our quiz questions up on the Patreon after we record so that you can get a sneak peek at those every week. And at the same time, we also take a moment now to acknowledge there are other things in the world that are at least as important, and in fact, more important than uh, what we're doing here. Um, A couple that are especially uh, close to our hearts are abortionfunds.org and communityjusticeexchange.org. But we we feel like if you're, uh, if you don't have a whole lot to contribute to things you care about, you can it we can be we can be lower on your list that's okay um but if you do have (laughs) if we uh and and we want to encourage you to you know to be doing something something good in the world but if you also have a couple bucks to support the media you love we would love to see you over on patreon kyle do you have deep dive guesses let's start out this season strong yet again um all right are you talking about lewis sacker i'm not okay Are you talking about Rin Tin Tin? I'm not. Ow! Dang it, man. I really do not have a third one. Um, Are you talking about uh, Antisthenes and the Cynics? I am not. No, Uh, I am. There was a missed clue on the Friday game that also tied into this a little bit, but by the time I watched the Friday game, I'd already written the deep dive, uh, and I did it based on the 
missed that $2,000 level of Canadian history on Monday's game. A World Heritage site, these Newfoundland <sighs> meadows contain the first evidence of Europeans in the New World. Catherine tried what are Viking meadows. Um, that was not correct. Lanso meadows is uh, the correct response here. I have never been. I have family members who have been who you know, who uh, remember that as like a really cool place to visit. And I was like, you know what? Let me let me look into this a little bit, and then and then talk about that. We also have talked Kyle and I um, before recording about trying to keep the podcast a manageable length. And so I'm trying to choose deep dive topics that are a little bit less broad in scope than some of my like, you know, just all of human history, right. just, you know, world leaders, just all the world, you know, um, I've never, yeah, I've never, uh, every single, uh, every single, what was it? What, what did you, oh, every, every, uh, every recipient of the Newberry Award of the Newberry Award? Yeah. I thought it was such a great idea. I'm so sorry. It was interesting. <laughs> It was a bit much, but it was, it was interesting. <laughs> anyway, um, so so I'm trying to I'm trying to try to rein it in a little bit. Choose things that are a little more manageable. We shall see. We'll see. Um, but anyway, for today, Lanso Meadows, which is spelled L apostrophe A N S E A U X, and then Meadows like the English word Meadows. And maybe it's Lanso Meadows. I'm not really sure. When I when I tried to find videos of newfoundlanders referring to the place it sounded like they were saying lanso meadows Mm -hmm. um yeah anyway lanso meadows is an archaeological site in newfoundland where evidence was found of a norse settlement dating to approximately a thousand years ago as such it is the only undisputed site of pre-columbian transoceanic contact of europeans with the americas outside of greenland in 1960 uh, the archaeological remains of Norse buildings were discovered at that site by the Norwegian husband-wife team of explorer Helga Ingstad and archaeologist Anne Stein Ingstad. Two uh, Icelandic sagas, the Saga of the Greenlanders and the Saga of Eric the Red, uh, describe the experience of Norse Greenlanders who discovered and attempted to settle land to the west of Greenland. Uh, which is referred to in those sagas as Vinland. Mm. Those two texts are also known as the Vinland sagas. The existence of these texts uh, led historians to um, believe or speculate that there had been Norse exploration of or contact with the Americas, um, but the location of what was referred to as Vinland or any archaeological evidence uh, of this contact was unknown up until this discovery in Newfoundland. There was a predominant theory at the time that the the Vin of Vinland referred to vines and that therefore Norse settlement happened in an area of the Americas where wild grapes grew. Um, So uh, at the time, they thought the Massachusetts coast or further south, although there actually are places further north where there are or were grapes. There's another set of clues in the text as well where there are references to the sun being above the horizon in the middle of winter at certain times of day, but also like the Norse timekeeping system was different than, you know, sort of our, you know, kind of 12 hour clock. And so there were some interpretive difficulties with figuring out, okay, so the sun is up at eight, but like, what does that mean? 
Mm-hmm. So in 1960, George Decker, a citizen of the small fishing hamlet of Lanso Meadows, led Helga Ingstad to a group of mounds near the village that the locals called the Old Indian Camp. These mounds covered with grass looked like the remains of houses. And uh, on this site, Helga and Anne carried out seven archaeological excavations from 1961 to 1968. They investigated the remains of eight buildings and perhaps a ninth. Uh, They determined that the site was of Norse origin because of definitive similarities between the characteristics of structures and artifacts found at the site compared to sites in Greenland and Iceland from around 1,000. The site was designated a National Historic Site of Canada in 1968 and a World Heritage Site by UNESCO in 1978. Of course, the Norse were not the first people there. Um, there is evidence of occupations by five different indigenous groups at that site. The oldest dated roughly 6,000 years ago. Um, as far as archaeologists can tell, um, none were contemporaneous with the Norse occupation. Uh, the Norse settlement at Lanso Meadows has been dated to about 1,000 CE, uh, with a mean carbon date of 1,014 And this assessment fits with the relative dating of artifacts and structure types. A 2021 study using radiocarbon analysis of tree ring samples pinpointed 1021 as a date of Norse activity at Lanso Meadows. Anthropologist John Steinberg has suggested that the site may have been occupied at least sporadically for perhaps 20 years Eleanor Bariclo, a lecturer in medieval history and literature at Durham University, suggests that the site was not a permanent settlement, noting that there are no findings of burials, tools, agriculture, or animal pens. So suggesting that it was used for, you know, maybe boat repair and sort of abandoned in an orderly fashion. You know, we don't, it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like it was kind of a permanent settlement. The site contains remains of eight buildings uh, constructed with sod over wood frames. The buildings have been identified as dwellings or workshops. They've been able to find artifacts and like um, traces of like different kinds of refuse that help them to understand uh, what buildings were used for what, um, you know, evidence of like iron smelting or like, uh, like wood that helped them to say this was a, you know, this was a smithy. This was a like a, a place where boats were, were built. Uh, in excess of 800 Norse objects have been unearthed at the site. Um, some of note include uh, a whetstone, a stone oil lamp, a bronze fastening pin, a bone knitting needle, part of a spindle. Evidence of iron production and bronze, bone, and stone artifacts have been identified. Food remains have been found, including butternuts, which are significant because they don't grow naturally north of Brun- New Brunswick. Uh, so mm. their presence probably indicates that the Norse inhabitants traveled farther south to obtain them. After Lanso Meadows was named a national historic site, the area and its related tourist programs have been managed by Parks Canada. And after the first excavation was completed, two more excavations of the site were ordered by Parks Canada. Uh, one taking place from 1973 to 1975, and another one in 1976. Following each period of excavation, the site was reburied to protect and conserve the cultural resources. Uh, The remains of seven Norse buildings are on display at the National Historic Site, 
And then north of the remains are reconstructed buildings uh, built in the late 20th century as part of an interpretive display uh, staffed with living history interpreters. So it's it's a cool site and, uh, you know, interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it was a brief deep dive. But hey, now you know probably way more than you're ever going to need to for trivia purposes about Lanzo Meadows. But, I mean, it was something I knew literally nothing about. So and now you I'm do. So I'm already in better shape than I was. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So are you ready for a quiz? Uh, of course I am. I thought you were. Lay it on me. All right. So I mentioned that Lanzo Meadows is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, so we're doing a quiz about UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Sweet. Yeah. A World Heritage Site designated by the UN, UNESCO is UN Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. And World Heritage Sites must be a somehow unique landmark, which is geographically and historically identifiable and has special cultural or physical significance. They can be designated as either a place of cultural heritage or natural heritage or both. And there are presently 1,154 UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Yeah. Question one is name all of them. <laughs> yes, right. exactly. Uh, now, question one. Uh, the idea for UNESCO World Heritage Sites came out of a campaign to protect monuments and sites that were endangered by the construction of the Aswan High Dam. The campaign was considered a success, and the government of Egypt donated archaeological artifacts to four countries in thanks. The Temple of Dendur was given in recognition of the contributions of the U.S. and is presently housed in what American museum? Uh, I, I feel like there's only one possible answer here, though I might just be way off. I'm going to say the Smithsonian. Oh, it's not in the Smithsonian. It's in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It is in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. See, that's why mm-hmm. I was off. Yep. I, uh, I was thrilled to come across this piece of information because I have been at the Temple of Dendur, like, I don't know, a dozen times. And I don't know if it's not highlighted or if I just never read the plaque, you know, um, mm-hmm. but I did not I did not realize the the backstory of this. Yeah, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City is uh, is where you'll find that. Interesting. Um, yeah. They put a whole temple in there. Uh-huh. I mean it's not it's not a large temple, but it's yeah, it's, it is an it is a whole Egyptian stone temple. Interesting. Yeah. Um today you can, I learned. Yeah. It's not uncommon as like a filming location. So you can you can spot it in When Harry Met Sally and Ocean's Eight and a bunch of other things. Yeah. But those were those were the two that came immediately to mind for me. All right. Yeah. All right. Question two. Lanzo Meadows was designated a World Heritage Site in 1978, the first year that such designations were made. Twelve sites were designated in that first round, including the rock-hewn churches of Lalibela and Simeon National Park, both of which are found in what country that seems to be a favorite of the Jeopardy writers? Ah. Um... Well, I was I was thinking something African, and your second clue leads me to say, without a shadow of a doubt, that it is Ethiopia. Ethiopia is correct. Excellent. Yeah, um, some of these World Heritage sites are 
not household names. So <laughs> I recognized Lalubela uh, as a as a a place that had come up in a novel I read set in Ethiopia, but I figured uh, figured probably I should <laughs> throw another clue in there. <laughs> um, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, in that first round of uh, designations, the Galapagos Islands. I can't remember the others off the top of my head, but the Gal- Galapagos Islands were in there as another one. All right, you are at ten points. And question three: UNESCO can classify existing World Heritage sites as in danger when they are threatened by human activity or environmental changes. Currently, 53 World Heritage Sites are in danger, including the historic city center of what Syrian city, with which Libertarian Party candidate Gary Johnson was seemingly unfamiliar in 2016? Ah, yes. Classic. Classic Gary Johnson. Uh, that, that, I'm pretty sure that's Aleppo. Yes, that is correct. What's Aleppo? What's an Aleppo? <laughs> yeah, it was not it was not clear whether he even knew it was all one word right <laughs> a space lepo <laughs> yeah so uh all all of the um world heritage sites in syria are currently designated as in danger it's you know it's not unusual if there's like a like a major like uh war or or conflict mm-hmm. uh for the for the world heritage sites in that area to be classified as in danger which I think is supposed to kind of call attention to the importance of preserving them. All right, you are at 20 points. And question four. The World Heritage Site program has garnered criticism due to the influence wealthy countries can wield via lobbying. Of particular note is that the Australian government has successfully lobbied to prevent what major natural landmark from being listed as in danger? Huh. I would think that's Uluru. Ooh, it is not. Is it the Great Barrier Reef? It is the Great Barrier Reef. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Weird. Yeah. Um, Scientists pushed for it to be listed as in danger um, because of, you know, the dangers of climate change and um, water quality and degradation of the coral and and, and um uh the australian government lobbied for it not to be listed as in danger because they were concerned that that would put a damper on tourism um yep. and uh so it is currently not listed as in danger cool um yeah cool 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 mm-hmm. super cool yeah all right uh question five You may remember from Learned League that Vichy was one of a set of 11 towns to be designated collectively as a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2021. That list of 11 towns also included Baden-Baden in Germany, Baden-Bevin in Austria, and what appropriately named town in the UK? Hmm. What towns do I know in the UK that would have something to do? Because it was like, it was for like hot springs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it just called hot springs? Is there a place called hot springs? There's, there's a hot springs in like Arkansas, right? Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> um, I'm just going through English towns that I know now. Um, 
I have no idea if this is... No, this it's not a town. Is it a town? I don't think it's a town. I don't think this is actually the name of the town. But uh, this is going to be, you know, shout out to uh, Josh Hill and his favorite uh, soccer team. So I'll say Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> great. Uh, great answer. Incorrect. Um, the correct answer is Bath. Ah, uh, yes, that makes sense. Yeah. I would never have gotten there. Not 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 in a million years, but that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Yep, the 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 11 historic spa towns of Europe is the um the set of towns to be collectively designated a UNESCO World Heritage site. Uh, another one on that list is uh the town of Spa in Belgium. Oh. Uh which I did not know like somehow <laughs> I have never asked myself why, why the word spa exists? Why is it called a spa? Why is it called Sounds a spa? Sounds luxurious. Yep. Yeah, it turns out that's the name of the town in Belgium with like the hot springs and stuff. All right. I wrote a much harder quiz than I meant to. You are at 20 Sorry. points and our final category is 20th century history. 20th century history. It's the first one of the season. Go big or go home. I'll bet 30. Wait, you're at 20. Or 20. Sorry, I'll bet 20. That's what I meant. <laughs> maybe, I'll bet 20. maybe I should yeah, like bet 30. <laughs> I'll still bet 30. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll, we'll, go with, we'll go with you could bet 20. Um, so for, tw- for, uh, for 40 points, Italy has the most World Heritage Sites, followed by China. 27 countries have no World Heritage Sites at all. And by my count, 35 or 36, depending on how you count, have just one site each. The Marshall Islands is one of the countries with just one, and it's an unusual one, a site associated more with humanity's capacity for destruction. What is the name of that site? So I think, I mean, there's certainly a name that comes to mind. And I think, given the Marshall Islands being called the Marshall Islands... Uh, I'm going to guess that is the Bikini Atoll. That is correct. Yes. Yeah, the, the Bikini Atoll is uh, is a UNESCO World Heritage Site um, because of the history of, uh, of nuclear testing there. Um, so a cultural World Heritage Site. It's, uh, it, it, if you remember the like cultural natural designation distinction. Right. Yeah. So so that is correct. Nice job. Nice. Yeah. Woo. Woo. 40 points. Mm-hmm. 40 it's points. Not a zero. Nice job. And I am only realizing that I absolutely meant to uh, have some of these questions have an answer that wasn't a geographic location. And then I forgot all about that. It's just all geographic locations. That's not good fine. variety. That's okay. Yeah. It's themed. Yeah. But hey, I know so much more about UNESCO World Heritage Sites than I did before I started writing this quiz. This quiz. So do I now. <laughs> and also, hearing the term UNESCO World Heritage Sites and being like, oh, that sounds important. I should probably learn about all of them. And then like you open the Wikipedia page and it's like, there's 1,154 and they add a couple dozen at least every year. You know, it like, it sort of takes, takes a... Takes the burden off. It's like, oh yeah, no, of course liberating. I don't know all of those. Yeah, it's like, oh, I can't know this. I, I can't I can't know them all. I probably won't bother to read them all. I certainly am not going to visit them all. Um right. it is an enormous list. Yeah. But kind of cool to to browse through. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for podcasting with me. 
Kyle. Of course. Thank you for a great deep dive. Oh, thanks. Um, and thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are Jeopardy fans or Jeopardy contestants, as much of our many of our listeners are, mm-hmm. uh, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.